Today on the Matt Wall Show, Canada has just effectively criminalized biblical sexual morality and biological science. They'll call, they call it a ban on conversion therapy. We have laws like this in the United States as well, uh, but they're not what they first appear. So we'll look at that today. Also, we'll discuss um, the jihadists who took hostages at a synagogue in Texas, but the FBI, Biden, and the media are pretending to be puzzled about his motives. I mean, why could he have possibly done this? And if Glenn Youngkin's first day as governor is any indication then uh, he's going to have a brilliant tenure. We'll talk about what he did on his first day. And what is an after-school Satan club exactly? We'll find out today, unfortunately, and much more on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, very excited to announce today uh, a new sponsor and new partner um, on the show and uh, for, for the year ahead, and that is Naturally It's Clean. Now, when you bring a product into your home, you want to be sure that your hard-earned money is going to a brand that believes in the same principles as you. And uh, I can tell you that uh, I've met with these guys, the founders of um, Naturally It's Clean, and they definitely are on our team in a major way. And they're they're they are members of the Sweet Baby Gang. Okay, so th- these these guys they're they're one of us. Naturally It's Clean is a home cleaning company dedicated to providing the most effective cleaning products for your home while reducing the use of harmful chemicals. What's their secret? Well, powerful plant-based enzymes, which is nature's solution to cleaning. And uh, when I say powerful, I'm talking about hospital-grade enzyme cleaning powder. They have um, cleaning power, I should say, not powder. They have solutions for almost every need in the house, from the kitchen to the bathroom to the laundry room. Naturally, it's clean. as a specialized formula to clean the area effectively. That's why I'm encouraging my listeners to start with four of their top products conveniently packaged together in their Daily Wire Essentials Kit. This is something they put together just for Daily Wire listeners. And for a limited time, my listeners can receive 15% off their order. Just enter promo code MATT at checkout when you visit naturallyitscleancom slash MATT. Try these incredible products in your home today. I've tried them in mine. And you know when I've got um, four kids in the house, we have plenty of opportunities to use cleaning products. I'll just put it that way. And uh, nothing better than Naturally It's Clean. Shipping is free and everything is made right here in the USA. So again, try our Naturally It's Clean Daily Wire 4-pack today by going to naturallyitsclean.com slash Matt and use promo code Matt to receive 15% off your purchase. Don't delay. Make the smarter, safer choice for your home cleaning needs today with Naturally It's Clean. So last week, Canada finally enacted its nationwide ban on so-called conversion therapy. Our neighbors to the north uh, now join several other countries like Germany and and Brazil and uh, up to, I think, 20 U.S. states now in banning the alleged practice. Though the Canadian law ups the ante considerably. Under the statute, as as the New York Times reports, it is a crime to, quote, Provide or promote services intended to change or repress a person's sexual orientation or gender expression. And violators who are found guilty of engaging in this illicit activity will be subject to five years in prison. And those who merely uh, don't even engage in it but promote it are looking at two years behind bars. Now, this immediately raises a question that most corporate media articles on the subject have uh, not really bothered to answer. But a pretty obvious question, which is, uh, what, what is it? What are we talking about? What's, what specifically is conversion therapy? We've all heard the, the phrase before, um, but what is it? Now, left-wing propaganda about the practice, which often uses words like barbaric and violent and brutal to describe it, brings to mind images of homosexuals you know, committed against their will to insane asylums in straitjackets, maybe strapped to gurneys and given electric shocks until they change their mind about their sexual orientation. But that sort of thing isn't happening in the modern Western world. 
So what then do these conversion therapy prohibitions actually prohibit? Well, for that answer, we should probably turn to the legislation itself. I think it's probably the best place to go. Uh, Bill C-4, which begins by telling us that, quote, conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conform to the sex assigned to person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. Now, in one fell swoop here, um, sexual morality, as it is understood by billions of people across the world and throughout history, and has been taught by every major world religion for thousands of years, has been legally consigned to the status of myth. And the belief that it's better for a person to accept their biological identity than to, than to try and reject it in favor of an identity that they can never truly obtain a belief shared by nearly every human being who has ever walked the earth joins biblical sexual morality under the fairy tale umbrella because that's a myth too. But we still don't know what exactly conversion therapy is, right? Now, fortunately, there's a section of the bill which purports to offer a, a definition. In fact, it says definition of conversion therapy. Okay, that's good. Now, here's what it says. Conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to A, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, C, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, D, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, E, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or F, Repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. And then it continues and says, For greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an, int of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition, and that is not based on an assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. Now, the wording here is still quite vague. Um, by, by design. I mean, this is intentional. But it's clear that conversion therapy certainly need not involve straitjackets or electric shocks. So we're way beyond that. Any practice, treatment, or service. You think about the word practice. What is a practice? It's just a thing that you do. So just anything at all, which seeks to in any way quote, change or repress a person's, quote, non-cisgender identity or non-heterosexual attraction is conversion therapy and could land you in prison for half a decade. Now, under this definition, um, there is no conversion taking place when a young boy is, say, chemically castrated in order to make him look more like a girl, or when a young girl is given a double mastectomy in order to make her look more like a boy. You know, that's not conversion. Rather, it is conversion if they are convinced not to be butchered in this way. If you convince them not to do this, if you convince a girl not to go have her breast chopped off, then you are guilty of conversion therapy for, for convincing her to keep the body she was born with. Um, by encouraging a boy to accept the fact that he is a boy, or encouraging a girl to accept the fact that she's a girl, 
you are engaging in conversion therapy under this law. It is conversion therapy to explain to a male that he is male and to help him embrace his natural identity. If you simply said to a boy, well, you're a biological male, that means you're a boy. That's conversion therapy, according to this. Now, does that mean that any counselor, therapist, teacher, pastor, or even parent who refuses to encourage a child gender delusion is guilty of violating this law and could end up behind bars for five years? Yeah, that's explicitly what it means. Does it mean that any priest or minister who stands at the pulpit on Sunday and preaches about sexual morality, not a lot of them doing that in Canada or in the United States, but if they do it, or even read a passage from the Bible like uh, you know Romans uh, 1, 26 through 27, one of the many biblical passages which condemns the homosexual act, um, does that mean that, that, that anyone who does that is now a conversion therapist and liable to a lengthy prison sentence? Yeah, again, that's very clearly what it means. Once again, the prohibition includes any practice, treatment, or service. Wording that encompasses literally anything that anyone in any position might do or say to contradict the radical left's harebrained theories about sex and gender. Now, there is ambiguity here. Um, tyrants love legal ambiguity because it gives them free reign to do essentially whatever they want. You know, But there's, there's no subtlety. So notice how the bill specifically forbids the repression of non-cisgender and non-heterosexual identities, but does not forbid repression the other way. So it is expressly not a crime to impose transgenderism on a child or homosexuality on a child. It's only a crime in the reverse. And the law is written that way. That's the way the law is written. You cannot, as it says, change a person's gender identity to cisgender. But there's nothing forbidding you from changing it to trans. It would have been easier, clearer, and less wordy to prohibit all attempts to change or repress a person's sexuality or gender. But the bill, very conspicuously, does not do that. I mean, why doesn't it just say uh, it's, a, it's a crime to change a person's gender identity? Period. No, they, they specified which direction you're not allowed to change it in. That's because the demented leftist despots and child predators who are behind these anti-conversion therapy laws, um, they don't actually have a problem with sexual coercion or manipulation. They have a problem with heterosexuality and biological science. And that's what this is really about. And they also, of course, have a problem with religion. And this is an effort to criminalize Religion. I mean, this, this is, it would not be an exaggeration to say that this is a criminalization of every, of all the Abrahamic religions. Because um, one of the most crucial aspects of their moral teachings are, are verboten now. Legally so. In fact, if the term conversion therapy means anything at all, the only sort of conversion therapy that happens in the Western world is the sort that converts people away from heterosexuality and biological sex, not into it. I mean, only an idiot or a partisan could look at surveys showing that 40% of Generation Z identify as LGBT and conclude that this is some sort of natural evolution. 40%? We're talking 300, 400, 500% increase? 
in a couple of years? Now, we can be sure that if this was a, if there was a pronounced drop in LGBT identities, if the LGBT communities, uh, community, if the ranks of the LGBT community were to shrink over the course of a few years, rather than have this astronomic rise, the left would conclude without hesitation that there must be a conspiracy um, of, of repression and eradication at work here. And that is exactly what's happening, but going the other way. There has been a many-fold increase in non-straight, non-biological identities, a jump unlike anything the world has ever seen, period. And there's nothing accidental about it. The LGBT lobby is, as I've been saying for years, running the most successful recruitment drive in American history. And it's pretty easy for it to be successful because they have the media, the school system, corporate America, and the government on their side. You know, it's easy to win converts when you have all of the most powerful institutions in the world working with you. And especially when your target audience are children who don't know any better. Good example of this. A video went viral over the weekend showing one conversion therapy victim uh, kind of go off script unexpectedly. The child's mother put him in front of a camera for a TikTok uh, video, for a TikTok live, you know, answering questions. And the idea was he was supposed to deliver LGBT talking points, the ones he'd been assigned, because that's all that this child is to this mother. He's just a vessel. Um for, for LGBT propaganda. But, you know, kids say the darndest things sometimes. So here's how that went. White people that aren't, like, serial killers like Ted Bundy. Does your mom say you have to be LGBT? Um, no. no. I think she's what I want to be, but some... T- but... Go ahead, Lex. Go ahead. Keep talking. Say what you're saying. Um, my mom doesn't matter if I'm up... If I am gay or lesbian or any of that, she doesn't care. All she cares about is that I'm a part of it. And if I'm not a part of it, she'll try to convince me to uh, um, get, join it. Because I... What? Are you saying right now? Facts. That I would convince you to join what? The LGBTQIA+. Now, if the child in that video had said that uh, his mother was trying to convince him to be straight, you know, the police would have barreled through her door and carted her away in handcuffs by now. Instead, he reveals that he's being psychologically conditioned to be some version of gay, and his abuser will pay no price for it. There'll be no penalty, no punishment. This is the approved form of conversion therapy in America and in the Western world. Millions of children fall victim to it. It's the only kind of conversion therapy that's allowed and the only kind that exists. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, um, uh, as you can see, I'm not in the studio again. Due to global warming, we had yet another snowstorm here in Tennessee. Multiple snowstorms in Tennessee in the span of a month. And um, that, that, uh, that does prove global warming, you know. That's, that's proof of global warming. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. It, uh, it proves climate change. Right. It proves that climate change exists because it proves that climates change. The climate changes, which uh, if you had any doubt about whether the climate changes, then uh, then exhibit A is, is right outside my window. The great thing about the climate change idea is that, is that literally anything that happens is evidence for it. So it's the most unfalsifiable theory of all time. Cold, climate change. Is it hot outside? Climate change. Rain, climate change. Wind, climate change. Tornadoes, climate change. Hurricane, climate change. Is it mild and calm? Well, climate change. Volcanic eruption, climate change. Stubbed your toe, climate change. Racism, climate change. 
Um, climate change, I think, at this point could be defined as, you know, because you know I'm a fan of definitions. And uh, I think that you, you need to know what they are in order to have any kind of coherent conversation about anything. So what's the definition of climate change? Well, climate change could be defined as that which occurs. That's climate change. All things that occur are climate change. And it's brilliant. Because see, if, you, if you're going to have a doomsday cult, which is what environmentalism is, the lesson that other doomsday cults have learned is that you have to be very vague about your predictions and your claims. Because environmentalists for decades made the same mistakes that other cults made around the same time frame, um, where they would make these specific predictions about the stuff that would happen in the future, and then the future came and, then, and none of that stuff was happening. So, you know, as we know, we're all supposed to be frozen to death by now, boiled alive, drowned, melted by acid rain. Uh, all the trees are supposed to be gone. There's supposed to be no ozone layer left anymore. But none of that happened. Um, it was like, it's like the guy, who's, who's that guy that several years ago? Harold Camping, right? He was the doomsday prophet. And he said, he said the rapture was going to happen. And um, somehow he convinced a, you know, a large number of people. And he gave a specific date. He said, on this day, it's going to happen. And people gave away their stuff and their homes and everything. And they were waiting for it. And then uh, the rapture came. And it was, it, was, it was just another day. It was like another Tuesday. It was not what anyone expected the rapture to be. So then Camping said, I think what he should have said, actually, is, um, well, you know what? The rapture came, but uh, we're all a bunch of scumbags. And so no one was chosen, it turns out. A little bit, little bit anticlimactic. But instead he said, oh, it was a spiritual rapture. You see, it happened invisibly. You would need to have a special, um, special glasses you know, that you can buy. You could buy for, uh, for 10 payments of $99.99. And, but, and that's the only way you can see the spiritual rapture. Um, that, that's it. And maybe the, maybe the, maybe the uh, climate change pro- proponents should do something similar. They should say, well, you know, we, ne- we never got acid rain, but there's a spiritual acid rain. The acid rain in our hearts. They could do that, but instead they've gone another direction and, and they've just, they've, they've decided that, um, well, we, we predict that in the future, uh, climate events will occur. And then the future comes and events are happening in the climate and they're saying, see, we told you. Brilliant strategy. I mean, it's a brilliant strategy if you're trying to fool a bunch of morons, which unfortunately there are a lot of them out there. And uh, so that's how it worked out. Okay. Let's see here. This is from the AP. It says, a man held hostages for more than 10 hours Saturday at a a Texas synagogue where he could be heard ranting in a live stream and demanding the release of a Pakistani neuroscientist who was convicted of trying to kill U.S. Army officers in Afghanistan. One of the four hostages held at a congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville was released during the standoff. Three others were rescued when authorities entered the building around 9 p.m. Uh, the hostage taker was killed, and FBI special agent in charge Matt DeSarno said a team would investigate the shooting incident. Law enforcement officials who were not authorized to discuss the ongoing investigation spoke to the AP on the condition of anonymity, uh, said that the hostage taker demanded the release of um, Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani neuroscientist suspected of having ties to al-Qaeda. Now, the name of the terrorist in this case is Malik Faisal Akram. And uh, usually we don't like to show you, you know, these terrorists and everything and what they look like. And we, we don't want to put their, their names and faces all over the place. But I do want to show you in this case what he looks like because it's, it's important context. Here's what he looks like. And you have to see that because, funny enough, all of the corporate media out, outlets have been describing him for, for days now as um, simply a British man. That's what they're, that's how they, that's the description they decided to go with. A British man. That's all we need to know about is that he's from Britain. In fact, early on, 
uh, I forget which outlet it was, but one of them actually described him as a man with a British accent. And that's how they decided to describe. Now, if he had, um, you know, if he had a Middle Eastern as- accent, an accent to reflect his his uh, ethnic background, do you think anyone, any headline, would describe him that way? Man with Middle Eastern as- accent takes hostages. Not going to happen. Now, we were also told, even though he actually said what his motives were, so we know that this is is an Islamic radical. Um, he's taking hostages on behalf of a, of, a, of another terrorist. And this is one of the, there, there are times when motives are unclear, right? The Las Vegas shooting, um, hundreds of people shot. We still haven't been told his motive because as far as we, as, as we know, he, he never said anything to anybody about it. So the motive is very unclear. Now, many of us have been asking for years now, hey, what was that all about? Remember that guy that shot all those people in Las Vegas? Why did that happen? But the FBI and uh, law enforcement officials, they claim that, oh, you know, who knows? Man, it just happened. So there are, there are times when the motive is unclear. There are times when it seems like the powers that be don't, don't want us to know the motive. But in, this is a case where he actually said what his motive was, which is pretty common for hostage takers. There's what, whatever, they have, a, they have a reason why they're doing it. They're trying to accomplish something. That's why they're taking hostages. And um, usually they'll tell you what they want. And he did. And, and yet, in the hours after that, um, FBI, an FBI spokesman got in front of cameras and said, uh, well, you know, we, we, we still don't know what, what this was about. But, it, but he was not targeting the Jewish community is what we were told. Listen. Uh, we, we, we do believe from our engagement with this subject that he was singularly focused on one issue. Uh, and it was not specifically related to the Jewish community. Uh, but we're continuing to work to find motive. And, and we will continue on that path. So the FBI is confused. And Joe Biden, the next day, was asked about this. And uh, he was also just confounded. I mean, he had no idea why this happened. Listen to Biden. Do you know why he targeted that specific Well, no, I don't. We, we don't have, I, I don't think there is sufficient information to know about uh, why he targeted that synagogue, why he insisted on the release of someone who's been in prison for over uh, 10 years, why he was engaged, why he was uh, using anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli comments. Uh, I, 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 we just don't have enough facts. So let's see. Um, so we got a Muslim guy, sister's a convicted terrorist, takes hostage at a synagogue, takes hostages at a synagogue in Texas on a Saturday. Um the Sabbath, and, uh, and but uh, now this wasn't targeting Jews, had nothing to, this is just coincidence. Could have been anywhere, right? He could have chosen any location. Just happens to choose a synagogue in Texas because, you know, those are a dime a dozen in Texas. So if you're just walking down a street randomly looking for a place to take hostages in, uh, you, you might, you, chances are you're going to stumble across a synagogue. That's what we're supposed to believe. Of course, it's totally absurd. And, um, a day after this, the FBI put another statement out, and now they're saying this is a terrorism-related matter in which the Jewish community was targeted and is being investigated by the Joint Terrorism Task Force. So the FBI tried to say, ah, this was not anti-Jewish. This was not, you know, let's not, let's not jump to any conclusions. Very quickly, they changed their, they completely reversed course without any explanation. And the reason is they're just being roundly mocked and ridiculed and criticized for it. And so that's why they decided to change. That's what we get from the FBI. Um, 
Meanwhile, of course, whenever something like this happens and you have a member of an approved victim group who does something terrible, um, we're told immediately that the number one concern, the number one priority is to make sure that other members of that group are not um, blamed for it or not made to feel uncomfortable. That's the number one priority after all this happens. Before we, if, if people are killed, before we even put the bodies in the ground, number one priority is to protect the feelings of the other members of that approved victim group. So the Daily Beast columnist Wajahat Ali, um, hours later, here's what he tweeted about. This is what he was thinking immediately after. He said, you're about to hear some ugly and vicious Islamophobia and anti-Muslim bigotry this weekend from elected officials, commentators, and even mainstream media. Hope I'm wrong. People will use it to divide Jewish and Muslim communities for their political agenda. Don't fall for it. Um, many of them, yeah, because, right, because it's the fault of um, conservative commentators that there's division in the Muslim and Jewish community, right? I mean, historically, it's really, it's really all the fault of, uh, of, uh, of conservative bloggers and radio hosts. Um, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't for us. There'd be nothing but peace and harmony among the uh, Jewish and, and uh, Muslim population globally. He continues, many of them will claim to care about Jewish lives as they openly support and parrot vile anti-Semitic conspiracies. They don't care about our lives or our communities. Muslim is easy synonym for terrorist, and those who downplay January 6th will now talk a lot about national security. So take a drink. If you're playing the January 6th drinking game, um, maybe that'll be your first drink of the day. Probably not. Uh, you're probably already stupefied drunk, but uh, of course we had to get the mention of January 6th in there. So what, what we know with the left is that the only thing that matters is um, the victim narrative, of course. And they have their victim hierarchy and this kind of equation, complicated equation. Well, oftentimes it's, it's pretty simple. You know, um, the, the victim narrative and the, and the equation is simple. But there are times when it becomes a little bit more complicated for them. And that's where they start kind of stepping on their own feet and, and, and tripping and stumbling a lot. And um, that's, what we, that's what we have here. And I think in general for the left... For the left's victim narrative, they have a lot of trouble with the Jewish community. They're not, they're, they're, they're not quite sure what to do there. Because, obviously, with the Jews, we're talking about a minority um, and a historically oppressed minority, clearly. Uh, but if we're going based on skin pigmentation, especially in the United States, you know, they're white. They look, they look just like any other white person walking down the street. And so that means that they, they, they can't really be included in the victim narrative. You know, they, they, they don't fall into the victim equation. And then when you look at conflicts overseas in the Middle East, well, that's where it becomes more simple for them. Whoever has darker skin is the, is the victim. And, um, and the victim is right. You know, the victim group is, is always right in, in any conflict. Um, and that's why they just can't, they, they, they cannot admit, um, they can't go outside of the victim narrative. And when anything happens, this is always the first concern. So if there's a Muslim terrorist attack, first concern is making sure that nobody says any mean things to Muslims because of it. When China unleashes uh, a deadly virus on the world and kills 5 million people, What's the first concern there? It's not to hold China accountable, that's for sure. It's just to make sure there's no anti-Asian sentiment. 
That's the biggest problem. Totally twisted and demented. All right, let's go to the Daily Wire. This is from, uh, well, it's from the Daily Wire, as I said. New Virginia Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin signed 11 executive orders and directives on his first day in office after being sworn in over the weekend. Uh, He says, quote, no matter who you voted for, I pledge to be your advocate, your voice, your governor. We stand here on January 15, 2022, filled with hope and optimism for the years ahead. This hope and optimism springs from a shared vision for the future and also from knowing what we have been through. Uh, And then that's not the most important part. Of course, you know, we got to get the the political speech and all that about a shared vision. But but in reality, we don't have any shared vision in this country for where we're going or where we've been or what kind of country we want to be. There's no shared vision at all. But, you know, obviously politicians speak this way. I'm more concerned about what he's actually doing. So here's what he actually did. The governor's office released the following list of executive executive actions that he signed on the very first day. Um, So let's go through them. Executive order number one delivers on his day one promise to restore excellence in education by ending the use of divisive concepts, including critical race theory and public education. So we've got a critical race theory ban on the first day. Executive order number two, and that's his first executive order on the first day. Executive order number two delivers on his day one promise to empower Virginia parents in their in their children's education and upbringing by allowing parents to make decisions on whether their child wears a mask in school. So next thing he's doing is abolishing the mask mandates in school. Executive order number three delivers on his day one promise to restore integrity and confidence in the parole board of the Commonwealth of Virginia, addressing law and order. Executive number four delivers on his day one promise to investigate wrongdoing in Loudoun County, the cover-up of the horrific rape of uh, multiple girls around Loudoun County. Executive order number five delivers on his day one promise to make government work for Virginians, by creating the Commonwealth Chief Transformation Officer. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Executive Order number six delivers on his day one promise to declare Virginia open for business. Uh, then number seven delivers a uh, promise to combat and prevent human trafficking. Number eight uh, establishes a commission to combat anti-Semitism. Number nine delivers on his day one promise to withdraw from the regional greenhouse gas initiative. Um, and uh, let's see what else we have. Promise to jumpstart our economy by cutting job killing regulations by 25%. And then uh, day one promise, this is his number, his last one was uh, to restore individual freedoms and personal privacy by rescinding the vaccine mandate for all state employees. Okay. And apparently, this is, I guess this is included in one of the executive orders, but I saw some leftists on Twitter complaining that um, that he also got rid of, on this on the state's official website, there's no uh, page now for... Uh, Diversity, the diversity and inclusion office. So he got rid of the page. He got rid of the office. Hopefully both, and they're very upset about that. And that's great too. Um, this is it's only one day, but this is a shall we say a very good start. And this is exactly what Republicans should be doing. You don't try to ease your way into it. You're not going to be gradual about it. No, you come in right away on offense using all the power you have at your disposal to um, put the this agenda into action. An agenda which is focused on basic sanity, uh, parental rights, you know, that sort of thing. You use all the power that you have to do it right away without waiting, going on offense. Um, hopefully a lesson to other Republicans. And I, I'll tell you this, and I, I, would, I would not have said this even prior to his first day. I mean, I was happy that he was elected, obviously. But uh, what I'll say now is if, if he continues 
and can string together a bunch of days like this one, then uh, I think he's a potentially a formidable candidate 2024. We'll see. Ralph Northam, he's the guy on the, on the way out in Virginia, and uh, he did an interview over the weekend reflecting on his time in office and especially on the most interesting event from that time. Listen to this. Well, that was a very, very difficult time for Virginia, and there was a lot of hurt uh, because of that. And for that, I, I regret uh, putting Virginia through that. I, I also, Jonathan, saw it as an opportunity for me to listen to people. I, I committed myself and uh, our cabinet secretaries to to really deal with uh, the inequities that exist and, and to listen to learn. And as I've said, the, the more I know, the more I can do. And we've really been able to turn a lot of what we learned uh, into action uh, in a lot of different areas. And so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it was a hurtful time. I am glad that Virginians stuck with me. I can tell you that I'm a better person. Uh, I certainly understand uh, racial issues much better than I did prior to that uh, episode. And I, and I really think Virginia, more importantly, is, is a better commonwealth, a, a commonwealth that is more open, more inclusive. Oh, you see, it was, uh, it, it was really, it was a good thing for everybody. Virginia, Virginia is a better commonwealth now because their governor wore blackface. And he, he learned an important lesson about not wearing blackface. And uh, this has been, this has really been, a, he said, it's not just about me. This is a learning, it's been a learning curve for everybody. You know, nobody knew that you weren't supposed to wear blackface. We all learned it together. No, Ralph, uh, really, it, it was just you. Could not be happier. I mean, it's it's hard to deserve hard to deserve this this fate more than more than he does to to leave finally in disgrace. Um, and this is somebody with with no political future at all, and that's a very good thing. All right, this is from KY three in Missouri. It says an Illinois school district released a statement defending a controversial after school club after flyer sponsored by the Satanic Temple surfaced at an elementary school within the district. The after-school Satan Club is set to have its first meeting Thursday. The flyer found within the uh, Moline Coal Valley School District is advertised for first through fifth graders, regardless of religious background, and asks for permission from parents or guardians or students to attend. Uh, the flyer says the, the, the club is set to meet from 245 to 345 once a month. Dates are provided up until May. So this is a elementary school with an after-school Satan Club. And maybe like you, when I first saw this story, I really thought it was a joke. Um, uh, it's just one of those moments where I, my first initial reaction was that's, oh, that's a Babylon B thing, a little bit too on the nose, not one of their funnier headlines. Uh, then you read it and you know, it's, it's real. This is a very real thing. And the statement, the, the district has put up this statement defending it. Here's what they say. The Moline Cole Valley School District understands that there is a concern and confusion over an upcoming after-school club at Jane Adams Elementary. The dis- district would like to provide information on the situation. The Moline Cole Valley School District and Board of Education have policies and administrative procedures in place which allow for community use of its publicly funded facilities outside the school day. The district does not discriminate against any groups who wish to rent our facilities, including religious affiliated groups. Religiously affiliated groups are among those allowed to rent our facilities for free. The district has in the past approved these types of groups, one example being the Good News Club, which is an after-school child evangelism fellowship group. Flyers and promotional materials for these types of groups are approved for lobby postings or display only and not for mass distribution. Um, and then he talks and it says uh, this is about equal, asp- equal access and all of that. So they're drawing a, a direct comparison between a Christian evangelism group, you know, an after school Bible study type of thing 
and a Satan club. I think what we, there are, there are a few things we, lessons we learned from this. A few takeaways we should say. One is, should be the most obvious, get your kids the hell out of the public school system. Um, every day there's another story which should emphasize that fact to you. But the other is this, um, even on the right, you know, you often hear this clamoring for, uh, we need um, uh, open dialogue in the school system, freedom of thought. You know, that's what this is all about. And so when, quote unquote, conservative ideas are excluded or punished or ostracized or marginalized, then, uh, then even people on the right will say, will say that uh, the, the real problem is that this is an attack on open dialogue and uh, free speech and freedom of expression and freedom of thought. But that's not really it, right? The, the focus of education, the point of education, um, the, the foundation of it is truth. That's what matters. That, that's what you need in the school system. That's what the education should be centered around, is teaching children truth, bringing them up in the truth, fortifying them in the truth. That's why the public school education and the university system are both basically useless, because they don't, not only do they not care about the truth, but they're, they're openly hostile to it. But that's the point. And when, for example, it's uh, verboten in the school system to talk about biological science as it pertains to sex... The, the problem there is not that conservatives are being picked on or that, uh, again, this is an attack on open dialogue or whatever. No, it's, it's that the truth, this is not a conservative idea. This isn't a political idea. The truth is being banished from the school system. That's what matters. Because when you focus only, say, oh, we just want open, everything is free and open and open-mindedness. Well, then the, the Satan Club can come along and say, hey, what about us? You said we're, we're open, right? So why can't we have our Satan Club in the middle of the elementary school? Why can't we try to indoctrinate children into literal Satanism on school grounds? Because you guys are talking about open dialogue, and this is part of the open dialogue. No, Satanism is an assault on truth, which is why it does not belong in the school system. Anything that is true does. To me, it's as simple as that. Let's get now to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. The sweet baby so this is exciting. A little bit of a, of a change here. Uh, well, not really a change. We're, just, we're adding something to the comment section. We um, now have a feature where if you uh, want to be featured in the, in the comment section, we will now take video comments. So that you can have your face out there. If, you, if for some reason you want it out there and associated with this show, then you could submit video comments. You can go now to dailywire.com slash, appropriately, sweet baby comments. So that's uh, dailywire.com slash sweet baby comments. And you go to the page and you'll see, of course, the big disturbing picture of me in a diaper. And then uh, you just got to, uh, what you got to do first is upload this to YouTube. And then you submit the YouTube link and your email address. And then there's the terms and conditions where you're signing your soul over to us. Don't worry about that. And then you submit it, and um, I'll look at it. And uh, if it's interesting, then we'll air it, and I'll respond to it. And even if it's not interesting and I just need content, I'll still air it and respond and, re and respond to it. So dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments. Okay, 
Marianne says, I appreciate Matt's show. He's a good, strong, ethical man. I thought we had lost this quality of manhood. Good, strong, ethical women like, um, like men like Matt who exude ethics, morals, and common sense. Well, I totally agree with your assessment of me. And, but the one thing you forgot to mention, of course, is my humility. And I appreciate that. Aaron Levitt says, you're absolutely right, Matt. College was oversold to me with the same heavenly promises it was to you. Yeah, it's sold to, to everybody that way. And then on the flip side of it, you're also promised or rather threatened, warned, that if you don't go to college, that your life is going to be a failure. And at least in my experience, going to public school for 12 years, 13 years, if you count kindergarten, um, they, they're, they're not subtle. I mean, they're, they're quite aggressive in, in, uh, in sending that message. Mean Bean Comedy says, I like hearing how sweet Matt's wife is and how she helps to balance him out. Like I said, I, it's, it's, it's a cliche. I think, at least in my case, it's really, it's really the case that uh, opposites attract. And because we, we could not be more <laughs> diametrically uh, opposed. Well, I guess I should clarify. It's actually some, an, an important clarification there, um, or, or qualification anyway, which is that I think that personality-wise, that's where that's the case. I think pr- probably to, to try, I can't imagine being married to someone who has the same personality as me. The last thing I would want to, to do is be around, I, I have to live in my own body. I don't want to be around another version of myself. That would be horrible. So that's where the opposites come in. But it's important to be similar, if not the same, when it comes to your fundamental foundational values and principles. That's where it matters. Um, if you're if you're an opposite, if you're opposites as far as that goes, that's where you could really be in trouble in your relationship. Um, DH says, Matt, you can do an at-home sleep study, which is very accurate at diagnosing sleep apnea and other sleep-related issues, and it's infinitely more comfortable and convenient than the lab test that you described. I would highly recommend it. So how does that work? Does my wife have to stay awake at night and just watch me sleep and take notes? If that's the case, maybe I'll do it, because forcing her to do that would be very funny. Um, Let's see. Amused Me says, wow, Matt, I'm so disappointed, but I guess, I, I guess it's to be expected. I am an RN fired for not getting vaccinated. I signed your petition and was, was all in with this fight. You could have at least mentioned that the mandate is still in place for healthcare workers, thanks to Kavanaugh and Roberts, but I guess you got your victory, so to hell with the rest of us. Well, you know, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'll never understand an attitude like this. Uh, I'm sorry you were fired from your job. That's horrible and wrong and tyrannical uh, and uh, an, an infringement on your rights. But you're mad that I talked about one thing and not another thing. You know, we tend to focus on one thing at a time. So this is, it's a, it's a real common criticism of people. You know, if you have a platform and you do a show, you, you, every day you'll get this. Well, why'd you talk about this and not that over there? This this subject over here is way more important than that subject. It might be, but I, I can't talk about every subject on, on every show. You see how that works? The fact that we got this win with private employers is very, very important. And it's worth focusing on. And uh, you know what? Sometimes I, I, I think it's good to just focus on a victory and even to revel in it a little bit when you have those moments instead of always having to couch everything and saying, yeah, but you know what? It's also a failure for this reason. All right. Elizabeth says, Matt has so many closing lines. Why not add a few more? 
Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Love you. Have a great day. Enjoy your meal. Godspeed. May the road rise up to meet you. Remember, the only thing worth fearing is fear itself. Once a king or queen in Narnia, Narnia, always a king or queen in Narnia. Don't let the bed bugs bite. I guess I do have a lot. I, I kind of take a Peter Jackson approach to endings. Uh, I, I can't have any qualms with you there. And uh, finally, Walter says, Dear Matt, I love your YouTube episodes, except when you attack Trump-heavy people and people that may not look like perfect tens for any reason. You're excellent at what you do, and please stay on point. Okay, first of all, um, attacking fat people and ugly people is way more offensive than attacking Trump. So I wouldn't put those all together. Trump is a politician, so he's always open to be attacked. And um, we should always be eager to criticize people politicians of all stripes as Americans. That should, that, should, uh, that should be one of our fundamental values as Americans, is a, is, a, is a permanent skepticism towards politicians and an eagerness to hold them accountable and criticize them when they deserve it. And even sometimes when they don't, because it's fun. Um, as far as, uh, but, but as far as overweight people, I don't attack fat people, overweight people. You know, pointing out that obesity is harmful and will kill you and there's nothing to be celebrated. That's not an attack. And like so many other things on the show, I wouldn't be talking about it. I wouldn't spend time talking about the fact that obesity is bad unless you had a powerful voice on the other side saying, no, actually it's good. So I have to respond to that. In an ideal world, in a sane world, I wouldn't spend any time saying obesity is bad because everybody wouldn't know it. There'd be no reason to say it. But when there's a concerted effort and a campaign to get people to embrace obesity, thereby embracing their own physical destruction, then it's necessary to say, no, it's bad. As far as ugly people, you know, whatever I say about ugly people is fine because I'm a member of the community. And those are the rules. You know, we're allowed to defame each other if we're all in the community together. Very excited to announce the release of the poster for our first original production, Shut In, which is a seat-gripping thriller that will be available to stream in February. The film follows the story of a young mother who's barricaded inside a closet by her violent ex-husband. As she's trapped inside, she uses nothing but her voice to guide her children on the other side of the walls to safety, all while the threat of her dangerous ex looms. We seriously cannot wait to, to share the finished product with you. So make sure you catch the final trailer when it drops tomorrow if you're planning on adding this terrifying thriller to your queue and want us to keep making content to combat the over-politicized mainstream entertainment that you get on the major streaming platforms, then go like and share the trailer on YouTube. Your support makes all the difference. And uh, it seems like it's been a while since we've done one of these, but The Daily Wire was uh, one of the first in the nation to file suit against the Biden administration's tyrannical vaccine mandates, and our case made it to the Supreme Court, who ultimately sided with us and blocked the mandates. Tomorrow night, we are going to um, have a brand new episode of Backstage. It is back at last where we discuss the outcome of the Supreme Court ruling and so much more. Join me, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Bourne, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on dailywire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel TikTok influencer K. Not Bay, who has uh, several hundred thousand followers on this site and um, recently posted a video which has since gone viral across multiple platforms. In the video, Miss uh, K. Not Bay responds to a commentator, or a commenter rather, who was lamenting the state of modern womanhood. And the commenter said, I honestly don't know what modern women bring to a relationship. They don't want to work, clean, cook, or raise children, yet complain about everything. Now, the comment, of course, does not apply to all modern women. Uh, doesn't apply to my wife, for example. But as a general statement, it, it's, it's quite astute. 
Kay felt otherwise, though, and she responded, and her response echoed, I think, uh, echoes a very common sentiment in our culture today, which is why it's worth listening to and engaging with. Let's uh, listen. We're not bringing nothing to relationships for centuries, decades. We've seen our grandmothers, our mothers, our great aunts give everything and get nothing. So for the first time in history, we're saying no. You don't get a free incubator. You don't get a free maid. You don't get a free chef. We're saying no, and y'all losing y'all mind. No, ma'am. And then y'all calling me a feminist. Uh, if you know me, you know, like, I still want Susan B. Anthony here. So that's not even a thing. Y'all just need a label to put on somebody who's telling y'all no. We said step y'all up and y'all made podcasts. That don't, that don't seem weird to you. All right, a few points here. First of all, what is this we stuff? Right? Even if I agreed that, you know, if I even if I agreed with the proposition that women in history were universally oppressed, and as you say, they gave everything and got nothing, um, which I don't agree with that, but if I did, what the hell does that have to do with you? You know, if it was the case, if that was the case in the past, it wasn't, but if it was, it certainly isn't true today. So you have like 300,000 followers on, on TikTok, despite the fact that you've never said anything interesting in your life, so you give nothing and get everything. Those are your circumstances and the circumstances of so many others in modern culture. When it comes to the conversation about alleged historical oppression, sometimes those of us on the rational side of the debate, we get so caught up in trying to to debunk the historical claim or frame it correctly or lend it context or whatever, that we forget to mention just how absolutely ridiculous it is for a privileged whiny brat luxuriating in the comforts of 21st century Western culture to try to exploit historical suffering that she didn't experience. So she approaches this with a sort of, uh, we're tired of being treated this way and uh, and we're not going to take it anymore. But what the hell are you tired of? Nothing happened to you. You were born into a country where women have all the same legal rights as men, in fact, have more legal rights than men. So please stop acting exhausted by traumas that you never suffered as if you inherited them in your bloodstream or something. That's not how suffering works. But what about the claim that, um, that women of the past gave everything and got nothing? Well, that would be true if a roof over your head and food on the table and clothes on your back and everything else you need to survive and thrive and be comfortable, if all of that amounts to nothing, then sure. I mean, if everything is nothing, then it's true that women got nothing. But then again, it's also true that they gave nothing because uh, everything is nothing and nothing is anything. Now I'm kind of confused. But if words mean something, however, it, it would be more true to say that women in the past gave one thing, you know, they, they had something that they gave and men gave something else. And that's how they structured their societies. They each gave, they each contributed in different ways, right? Of course, we're just pretending here that women started working outside of the house 30 years ago or something, which isn't true. That's obviously not the case. Even back in the middle ages, many guilds had women members, for example. But that aside, the traditional gender roles she talks about um, were not at all one-sided, as they're so often caricatured today. They could not have been one-sided, right? Prior to the industrial age, unless you were nobility or royalty or in the ruling class, you, you had to actually survive on a daily basis. And survival required effort, required work every day. If anyone in your house gave nothing, 
everything would fall apart and everybody would probably die. That's why no, no one in the house gives nothing unless, unless we're talking about infants. But even older children had to contribute. They didn't have the luxury to experiment with sending women out into the forest to hunt while the men stayed home to nurse the babies. Never occurred to them to do it. They didn't have the luxury to do it. The person best fit for the job had to do it. And that's largely why the gender roles historically uh, worked out the way they did. Because men were simply best fit to do these kinds of things. And you needed the person best fit to do it, to, to go out and do it so that you could survive. Nobody was concerned with equity back then because equity is the kind of thing that people can only concern themselves with when they have nothing else to worry about. Men and women contributed differently, but they both contributed because there was no other option. Now today, survival does not necessitate the same sort of constant and conscious effort. The welfare state has, in fact, made it possible for people to survive without any effort at all in some cases, aside from whatever minimal exertions are necessary to walk from the couch to the refrigerator and then back to the couch again um, to grab another armful of food that uh, you, know, you didn't pay for. And even those of us who, who work are still not fighting to survive the way that people in the past did. It's only in the midst of this obscene affluence that almost all of us are experiencing that we can start tinkering with gender roles, right? Instead of, of men doing one thing and women doing another, now we say that men and women should all do the same things. And sex should not factor into how the work is delegated at all. But it's hard to argue that this arrangement has been a smashing success as marriages are falling apart at a rapid rate. The family unit itself is disintegrating. There's also hostility and resentment between the sexes as evidenced by this woman's response and the comment she's responding to. Somehow this, uh, this idea of, you know, we'll both do the same thing and contribute in exactly the same way, and neither of us will have any pronounced roles at all, this strategy has not brought about the results that we were promised. Shocking. And there are many reasons for that, but let me focus on just one. This is not the whole case that I could make, but it's just, just, just one element here. The fuel that keeps human relationships in general, and marriages in particular, running smoothly is, is gratitude. Okay, that's the fuel. It, it would not be an exaggeration to say that, that probably nearly every failed marriage, or most of them, uh, or failed romantic relationships of any kind, fail because of a terminal lack of gratitude by one or both partners. Usually both. Now, if you listen to two divorce, divorcees talk about each other, this is one of the first things that will jump out at you, is that, is that they are not grateful for the other's contributions to the marriage. They don't recognize the contributions at all. And they both feel that the other was not grateful for their contributions. This is like almost every divorced couple or former couple that you come across. Even in cases where the primary cause of the divorce seems to be something like infidelity, even then a lack of gratitude lies at the root of it because only a person who lacks gratitude for their spouse would cheat on them in the first place. So what does this have to do with the gender role question? Well, it's easier to be grateful for your spouse's contributions if you know what those contributions are. Okay, if you know what their role is, then it's easier to be grateful for it. Instead of these days, both partners looking at each other like, what exactly do you do here? Why do I need you? And crucially, if you recognize that they are bringing something unique and essential to the table, that they're providing something to your household that you could not provide yourself. 
if you have the attitude that there is no important difference between you and your spouse and um, that you can do everything that they can do and probably do it better, then naturally you're not going to be grateful for them. They are a redundancy at best, unnecessary baggage at worst. And pretty soon you start seeing it the way uh, our friend Kay sees it. You, 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 you give everything, they give nothing, and whatever little bit maybe they do give, you could, do, you could give the same and do a better job of it than they do. That's why people like Kay will never have a successful relationship or marriage or even friendship for that matter. Because a woman like her declares that she is perfect, you know, that she don't need no man, that, that men ought to be grateful for her no matter uh, how little she brings to the table, and uh, that she won't be grateful for men no matter how much they bring to the table. And then women like this sit back in astonishment and wonder why they're alone. Well, there's no mystery there. There's also no mystery to the fact that today she is canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, after an Islamic extremist takes hostages at a synagogue, the FBI announces its puzzlement over motive. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen. 